Church at this time. Children may make their way to Junior Church, and I invite you all to turn to Philippians 3, 12 through 16, as we continue our trek through the epistle of Philippians. And we're heading down the home stretch, and I think I said last week, but it, it could be important to repeat that here in a couple weeks, we'll be done with Philippians, actually like six weeks, and we're going to have a... Um, uh, Advent, a Christmas series on who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Fully God and fully man. Who is Jesus? And how do we how how do we go to Scripture and find out a little bit more of who Jesus is? Because Jesus' beginning was not in Bethlehem. His beginning was from eternity past. He actually never even had a beginning. So who is Jesus? And then starting in January, we're gonna look at another book of the Bible. We're gonna look at the book of Acts and uh, preach through the book of Acts. So turn to Philippians 3. We're going to start at verse 12 here in a moment. But by way of introduction, there was a guy named Reggie Jackson. He was a baseball player, and he was known as Mr. October. Mr. October. He got his nickname because he was known to shine when his team played in the postseason playoffs. Reggie would come up to bat, and the ball was going over somebody's fence. Reggie Jackson said once in an interview that he lived for the postseason. Because that is when he would shine. He lived for the postseason because that is when he would shine. But Reggie Jackson, in order to get to the postseason, had to get through the regular season. His secret to shining in the regular season was to keep his eyes on October. He shined in the regular season because he was looking to the postseason. He was looking for the goal. He was looking at the goal of getting to the postseason. And here's an application. God is looking for some Mr. and Mrs. Octobers. God is looking for some here today, Mr. and Mrs. Octobers, people with their eyes on eternity who faithfully play the regular season because they're looking forward to postseason glory. Are we looking forward to postseason glory? Being faithful today, serving the Lord now, and looking forward to our eternity with Jesus in heaven. In today's passage, we see Paul's eternal focus. Paul had an eternal focus, and we see his focus on becoming like Christ. So my theme today is we see Paul's progress in the gospel, which is through Christ and not the law. Paul's progress in the gospel, which was through Christ and not through the law. It was through Christ. It was through Jesus' work in his life, not through keeping the Old Testament law. And we see if you look at verses 12 through 14 that Paul says he's not there yet, but he's pressing on. In verses 12 through 14, we see Paul say he's not there yet. He hasn't achieved it, but he's pressing on. Let's look at these verses. Verses 12 through 14 of Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this, and we're gonna talk more about these verses. But first, how did we get here? We're over halfway through Philippians, and in, in the previous verses in Philippians chapter three, verses two through 11, Paul was warning them about people who were trusting in their righteousness. Paul was warning them about people who were trusting in their righteousness. 
They were trusting in the Old Testament law. These were likely a group called Judaizers. This group thought that Gentile converts needed to keep the whole Old Testament law. And that was settled in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, they settled those types of issues. They settled the issue that Gentile converts did not need to go through the rite of circumcision and things like that. Now, here's a little note about that. Some would say Acts 15, which is the first major council in the church, that that was about Gentile converts, which it was, but not including Jewish converts. So Jewish converts already did go through the rite of circumcision. A lot of them, even to this day, still follow certain Jewish feasts and customs and things like that. But for Gentile converts, they, were not, they did not have to be burdened with keeping the whole law. If you think about it, even today we take communion, right? And we don't, we, we, we see in the Gospels and we see in 1 Corinthians, Jesus says in the Gospels and Jesus is repeated in 1 Corinthians, do this in remembrance. Now, if you look at the Passover meal, that was a whole meal as part of the Passover meal. We don't do that whole meal every month or, or every six weeks or every quarter. We don't do that whole meal. We take those two parts, the bread and the cup. They actually raise something like seven cups. And if we were trying to be literal with everything, it certainly would have to be unleavened bread, which we don't always do here. We might end up doing every time here. But we would also have to do real wine because the Passover meal was real wine, now, some teach, this is not true though, but some teach that, that it was unfermented. It wasn't. They couldn't stop the fermentation process. And also the wine, the fermentation process cleansed the impurities so that there were no impurities in the Passover meal whatsoever at all. I talked to a, a few actual a Jewish more, well, Bible scholars about that a few years ago. Have you real wine? We're doing it in remembrance of Christ. It's symbolic. And we don't do the whole Passover meal. We don't follow always all the Jewish customs, do we? Don't we don't right uh, uh, right now? They're beginning the Feast of Booths the past couple of days, and in one of the Jewish New Years a couple of weeks ago. We don't follow all that, do we? Now, uh, our Jewish our Messianic Jews oftentimes do, because you know it's part of their ancestry and all kinds of stuff. But this was settled in Acts 15, and the Judaizers were a group that Paul wrote about responding to in Philippians 3, 2 through 11. And he was responding to them who thought they could earn their righteousness by keeping the whole law. In fact, they taught you had to keep the whole law. And that's why last Sunday's message was all about saying it's, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We can't keep our, earn our righteousness by keeping the law. And that's why Paul right here is responding to the Judaizers. He's still continuing to respond to the Judaizers. Paul then wrote about how he has, Paul wrote about how he has many more reasons to boast in his own righteousness, right? He said, if they have reason to boast about their righteousness, he said, I do more so. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was in the tribe of Benjamin. I, I followed, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. He said, if anyone has reasons to boast about their confidence in the flesh, he calls it the flesh, in these human achievements, he says, I have more reasons for that confidence. He has more reasons, but then he said he counts them all as waste. He counted all of his human achievements as waste in order that he may gain Christ. They were nothing 
compared to the goal of gaining Christ. He can't gain Christ from those human accomplishments. And neither can you or I. It's all about Jesus. We are saved by Jesus. At the end of that section of Philippians 3, 2 through 11, Paul expanded on wanting to know Christ and how deeply he wants to know Christ. He wants to know Christ even by participating in Jesus' sufferings and attaining the resurrection from the dead. That's what he said in verse 11. It's a powerful statement. He even wants to know Jesus' sufferings. If Jesus suffered so much, it's only fair that we also suffer for him. That's what he was saying. And then he wants to attain the resurrection of the dead. And this brings conformity to Jesus' death through refining obedience. Conformity to Jesus' death through refining obedience. And a believer in Jesus will attain the resurrection from the dead. If we are a believer in Jesus, we will attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul is eager to attain the resurrection. But that whole section is about how he really wants to know Christ. He really wants to be conformed to his image. And that leads us to this passage in verses 12 through 14. Look how he begins in verse 12. Not that, a high, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. He's saying he hasn't already got there. He hasn't been made perfect. He has not attained the resurrection. We know that, right? He hasn't died yet. He hasn't attained the resurrection yet. He has not attained sharing in Christ's sufferings and becoming like him in his death, which is interesting because Paul is suffering right now. We repeated and repeated and repeated. The context of Philippians is that he's in a Roman prison. He's chained to guards. He's suffering. And he's saying against his legalistic opponents who claim perfection, Paul denied that he'd already been made, come, been, been made perfect. I like what Dr. Stephen Lawson shared uh, when he says, not that I've already attained it, or some translations say this, it refers back to the Christian life, the knowledge of Christ, the full conformity to Christ's death. Paul knew that he had not arrived. He had not yet arrived at the full conformity of Jesus' death and resurrection. Further, the closer you are to Christ, the more you realize you have not arrived. People talk to me and they're like, why do I still struggle with this or that sin? Why am I still dealing with that? I haven't grown any. No, you have grown. You're more aware. The closer we are to Christ, the more we grow in Christ, the more we're aware that that anger was sinful. We need to repent of it. That strife, that jealousy, that gossip, that slander, it was sinful. It was wrong. It was sinful. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, you may not have been that convicted. Now you're convicted because the Holy Spirit is exposing things in us. That's our growth. The closer we come to Christ, the closer we grow in Christ, the more we're aware of these things. As we grow in Christ, we realize how much growing we still need. I love this. Uh, in, in his book titled Pastors and Critics, the author Joel Beek quotes Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher, and he says this. He says, brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him. If you, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. You ever think about that? He continues. He says, if he charges you falsely on some point, Yet be satisfied, for if he knew you better, he might, charge, he might change the accusation, and you'd be no gainer by the correction. If you have your moral portrait painted and it is ugly, be satisfied, 
For it only needs a few blacker touches and it would still be, it would st- it would still be nearer the truth. Do you think about that? If people knew our heart, they could be even more critical of us. Then in the end note, there's another quote from a guy named Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon said similarly, my enemy, whatever evil he says of me, does not reduce me so low as he would if he knew all concerning me that God does. God knows our heart. He exposes the heart. The word of God exposes our heart. That's Hebrews 4. And God wants us to grow up in him. And we have too high a view of ourselves often. However, as we grow in Christ, as we become more like him, we realize we're not there yet. And that's what Paul is saying. He's, I'm not arrived yet. Paul is saying, I, I have not arrived. I want to grow. I want to I continue to grow. I'm striving. I'm, I'm focusing. Paul says he has not been made perfect. And he means perfect in Christ, but he presses on. And we will see that word come up again in verse 13. Look at the rest of verse 12. He says, I press on to make it, he, he presses on to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made him his own. He belongs to Christ. If you know Christ, you belong to Christ. But he wants to make the Christian life his own. He wants to make knowing Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus his own. But what is he referring to? The context makes it clear, but I think he is referring to spiritual growth. Look at verses 13 through 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind is straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He is telling us right here his growth plan. He forgets the past and he strains forward. This language is like a a runner reaching for a baton to hand it off. A runner reaching for the finish line, right? He forgets the past. He's straining forward. Actually, the Greek verbiage here actually means straining forward, straining forward to get to the finish line, to get to the finish line. What's the past he's forgetting? It's verses four through six of this same chapter. He's forgetting all of his Hebrew accomplishments. He's forgetting all that he did trying to keep the law, trying to be righteous by the law. He's forgetting all of that, knowing that won't won't make him perfect. He's forgetting that. He's straining forward. Then in verse 14, he writes again that he presses on. He's pressing for the prize. What's the prize? It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is knowing Jesus. The prize is the call of Jesus on his life. The prize is eternal life with Jesus. But I think it's also a deeper life with Jesus now. The goal is to know Christ more intimately. The prize is at the finish line. As we focus on the prize, we are pulled like a magnet. As we focus on the prize, we are pulled by the Holy Spirit like a magnet towards Jesus. God causes all, or allows all things in our life, and we cannot let it slow us down. Don't be content with where we are spiritual life, spiritually. We cannot be content with where we are spiritually. We haven't achieved where we need to go until we're with God in heaven. There's no retirement spiritually. We got to keep pressing on. Look at verses 15 through 16, and we see Paul's message for the mature. This is interesting. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Notice he's writing to the mature now, and he does consider himself as part of the mature. But he is a mature believer, but he is still saying he needs to grow more. And then he, he directs the, matures, the mature believers to think this way. What is this way? It's what he's been writing about. When we're mature in Christ, we recognize it's all by Jesus. And our thinking this way is pressing on towards the goal. Keep moving. Press on in the Christian life. We must forget the past and focus on the future. Like Paul, we forget, and then we press on and know Christ more intimately. That means being conformed to him. We must think that way. And why does he write this? Partly because that is how much he loves Jesus. Additionally, he was concerned about those who were trying to make them rely on their human achievements for salvation. He had warned them about this group. Paul does make an exception. If you think otherwise, it's interesting he says this. He says, if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. So, so, so he's leaving this for them to seek the Lord about. In other words, if these people from the Judaizer group and other groups, if they, if they think they disagree with Paul, he says, let the Lord reveal that to you. He's allowing them to be convicted by the Lord. We see in verse 16, only. So this means that it's really important. Only. Hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to the gospel by faith alone in Christ alone. Being saved, being set free, being made righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. Let's make some applications here. Like Paul, do we realize that we have not been fully conformed to Christ? Or do we think we've arrived? Do we realize that we have more growth ahead of us? Is God exposing new things we have to work on in our life? Is it that anger? Is it the anxious thoughts? Is it fear? Maybe we cannot trust God with our children or grandchildren. Suppose one of your children feels called to serve the Lord in Iran as a missionary. Or maybe China, or maybe Russia, or maybe North Korea. These are persecuted countries. What do you say? Do you say, oh, that's nonsense. Don't risk your life over there. Listen, through 2,000 years of church history, it has not been about safety. It's been about Christians following God to risk their lives. And don't forget. Don't forget. When we're raising children in America, there are different risks. They're not physical. They're moral. They're affluence. They're all the pressures that we get satisfaction by things, by stuff, by money, by materialism. What do we say? Can we trust, our God? Can we trust God with our children or grandchildren? What if they're called to serve as a missionary in Russia? Can we trust Christ with our children and grandchildren? Trusting Christ is part of discipleship. Are we content with where we are spiritually or are we eager to grow? What accomplishments have we or do we think of as earning our righteousness? We need to forget about those. What new habits are we developing to help us grow in Christ? Are we developing new spiritual habits to help us stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and grow in Christ? How do we hear from God? Are we fasting? Are we in the Word, in the Bible every day? No Bible, no breakfast. Or no Bible, no evening snack. No Bible, no lunch. Are we in the Word to hear from God? Are we fasting? Sometimes the best thing we need to do is skip that lunch or that breakfast, is spend time fasting in His Word. Are we in the church family in small groups? 
Sunday school and Bible study. Celebrate recovery will totally help with this. If we have trouble trusting God, really trusting God, celebrate recovery can help. If we have trouble with anger, even occasional celebrate recovery can help. How are we growing in Christ? How are we pressing on? I encourage you to take time and pray about these right now and this week. I'm gonna close this message in prayer. Then we're gonna do something a little different. We're gonna play a song for about two minutes called, Oh, Come to the Altar. It's gonna play in the background. And we're gonna fade it out just over two minutes in and the praise team's gonna come up. And you know, this is an altar call. We do the altar call every Sunday, but this is a different way of doing it. We encourage you to pray and reflect on these questions that I gave you or something else the Holy Spirit's giving you to stir your heart right now. It may be something else. Maybe just there's so enamored, so burdened by something, you just need to pray about some other great need you have. You can do that in your seats. You can come to the altars. You can come to the altars during this song. You can come to the altars during the closing song, which is Revive Us Again, again. We're gonna do it a second time. Let us pray with you. We'll have people up here to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. So let me pray now, and then I'll invite them to start that song. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stir our hearts, not just for repentance of sins, definitely that, but also a focus on the future. What do you want us to do? How, do, how can we grow in you? How can we grow in you? So Lord God, I pray the Holy Spirit speak to us through this meditative, contemplative song, and certainly through the closing song as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and start that song, Billy.